is an executive hospital systems manager for Amgen Biotech in New York. She also teaches, mentors, and hosts Shabbat dinners for Manhattan Jewish Experience, or MJE. She lives with her husband and four children on the Upper East Side of Manhattan. Next is Sharon. Sharon graduated from Long Island University with a BS in with a Bachelor of Science and a minor in dance. She went on to Downstate Medical School, completed her surgical residency at Mount Sinai Medical College, and became a fellow in the American College of Surgery. She continues to work at Mount Sinai with a private practice in surgery and as a clinical professor in surgery, teaching general and laparoscopic surgery. The only job she enjoys more is mommy of Sarah Lett, now 12, and Shmuley, age 8, or age 10, sorry. Esti Goldschmidt, also my Chavrusa, um, is a marketing associate at Estee Lauder. She works in Asian skincare franchises. Um, prior to working at Estee Lauder, Esti worked in marketing at the Russian TV channel in New York. She earned her BA and MA at Yeshiva University. And lastly, but not least, our moderator, Marion. Uh, Miriam Klangfeld works in real estate development NYC. Her past experiences include private um, client and trade equity derivatives. She lives in New York all of her life and has an MBA from NYU. Okay. Is it okay with you guys if we record this? For yeah. Okay. Okay. Thank you all. It's really nice being here in front of you. Um, I guess we'll start off with the questions, and then I think we'll leave some time afterwards to answer some of your particular questions that you might have for this group. Um, so Shifra, maybe we start with you, and given the timing of the year and where we are with Passover coming up, um, this year we're sort of a little lucky in that it falls out over the weekend, or at least I count myself lucky, um, but there are some times when Passover falls out during the week, and sometimes with all the Jewish holidays, you end up spending more time out of the office than vacation days that you might have. So maybe you can talk a little bit about how do you deal with that situation, and two, even on days where you're not using up all your vacation days, how do you make sure that you're fulfilling the work that you need to do even when you're out of the office for this amount of time? Okay, sure. So when I started earlier in my career, at my pretty much first job out of college, I came to them after I was hired, around the time we started having the Shabbat conversation, and I said to him, oh, by the way, this is my boss at the time, by the way, there are a bunch of days during the year, and they're not going to be on your calendar, but they're on a lunar calendar, and started to explain about this Jewish holiday process. And he said, great, just make a list. And I said, well, Gary, it's a little more complicated than that, because this year there's about 12. And he just looked at me and said, 12 extra days, huh? And at the time, I think I had two weeks of vacation. So I proposed to him, well, what if you could dock me from these days? Because uh, his attitude was, well, let's just use them as vacation. And I said, well, Gary, they're not exactly daiquiri on a beach type <laughs> vacation days. They're soul-searching, reflective, synagogue, temple type days. Um, I just tried to explain it like that from that perspective. And, uh, he said, okay, I got that, I get it. You know, you're not like on a Caribbean cruise somewhere. So we started to kind of go back and forth, and I said, what if you just dock me? Just take the days out of my paycheck. And payroll came back with, that's not going to work, that's not going to fly because it's too complicated. So what they were very generous and did was they found these uh, work and family days. Some companies have them. You should inquire about them, perhaps through HR. 
uh, and they were able to give me an extra five work and family days and um, I was able to balance it that way and truthfully in the beginning until I could really accrue vacation I, I didn't I didn't have a lot of vacation I didn't um, I used it again for Jewish holidays eventually I started to accrue time and then I, there was like days where you could save and then roll over and so then I started to kind of build and bank days so that was another thing um, my situation now is a lot better in the sense that they're very generous. I'm really blessed to be with a company that's very generous and very flexible with the vacation time that I have, so it doesn't really run into a problem. Um, but um, if you're not in a situation like that, I just came up with a couple of ideas on my own. Whenever we put our best foot forward and show that we're always trying to contribute, most employers will work with you. You know, Esty and I were in a taxi coming down here and kind of talking about this a little bit especially if they're seeing that you're trying to find solutions. So offering, for example, to come in on a Sunday to make up the hours, uh, you know, Saturday night even, you know, extra hours, you know, to, to the work day. So if the day ends at 5 or 6, I'll stay till 10 and make up those 4 hours or 9. You know, and trying to be flexible enough to make up those, day, those hours at nights so that you can bank them for the daytime, for the holidays that you need. So that was... Um, one idea and then some companies will let you possibly work from home perhaps on a legal holiday so let's say your company shuts down July 4th but you're in a position to maybe do some remote work or depending on what you do maybe if you're you know in a law firm you can be overseeing briefs and reading so perhaps they'll let you uh, trade if you will and be flexible like that and so that was another idea that came to me um, and then again, the Sunday from home type of thing. So again, I think it's a matter of sitting with your employer and figuring out how it can work best. Everybody's situation is very unique, right? The circumstances are very different. So I think trying to figure out uh, a flexibility that can, can work on both ends. Does that, does that kind of help a little bit? So, Shiva, maybe we'll pick up a little on what you said to start with, and I'd like to direct it to Esty, who's probably the one who had the most recent hire from the one on the table. And, you know, you mentioned that you talked with your boss about holidays. Esty, how did you handle the concept of Sabbath during your interviews, and when did you bring it up in the interview process? Did you bring it up early? Did you bring it up when you were already hired? How did you handle that? Thank you, Marian, for the question. I brought it up after I was hired. So I had three interviews, to be precise, before I received an offer, and then I came in for one more conversation with the vice president of my department about my day-to-day, -day, who I'll report to, what exactly is expected of me. And I said, as an Orthodox Jew, and she waved at me, and she's like, I totally get it. My parents go to temple. I was like, yeah, so the Sabbath. So, so she was completely understanding, and it wasn't a problem. However, my direct supervisor, who's, I love her to pieces. She was very welcoming to that idea, but on Friday, it was winter, and she was like, okay, well, we have this meeting at 3 p.m., and I was like, oh, I won't be able to make it. And she was like, right, right, right. And then it was 2.30, and she said, you know, are you coming to this meeting? And I felt horrible, <laughs> but I had to keep on reminding her. But it took a few months, and, you know, when it was needed, I came in on Saturday night or on Sunday to get the work done, and eventually I earned this reputation of the person who gets the work done. And, you know, 
HR came to her and they said, do you mind that she leaves early on Friday? And she said, you know, if I email her and it needs to get done, I know it will get done. So, so we got around it that way. Okay. Um, do you feel as if, if that should have taken place earlier in the process, or do you feel comfortable with the way that it was the way that it was done? I do feel comfortable with the way that it was done. I think it would have impacted, to be completely honest, mm -hmm. whether I would have received the offer or not, if I would have come up front and said, hey, well, actually, I'm only going to work half a day on a day when I'm supposed to work a full day. So I, I made it clear that I wish I could work a full day, and I will do everything I can or go over to make sure the work is done, but I will have to leave early on this day. Um, Sharon. And I'm not sure if anyone in the um, in the room here has an interest in medical profession, but I figured it would be you know certainly interesting to hear how you, <laughs> you negotiate Chavez. <laughs> how you negotiate Chavez, and there are certainly exemptions to you know some of what can be done on, on the Sabbath. But love to hear your experience on that. Issues came up through college, okay, and through residency. So when I was in college, I sometimes my parents would I would walk into classes to sit through and walk back, okay, I absorbed what I could and that was it. And my, I come from this ultra, ultra orthodox family. My father has a long white, white beard now, which he blames on me that it's white. <laughs> um, and, uh, it, it, well, he had two other daughters, so, you know, it's not all me. <laughs> but, um, so that was, when I got to going to medical school, did the same thing. I would walk in sometimes on Shabbos if I had to sit in on a sub-internship or something, and that was pretty cool. Everybody knew. When I got to residency, interviews were a problem. Most surgical interviews are on Shabbos. Um, a lot of places were very, very willing to work with me. Um, I went to NYU, and the person who interviewed me um, basically said to me outright, if you plan on getting married and be getting pregnant during the next five years, you will find yourself out of a job. Now, can you, them? you can, you can, but you, let, me, let me explain to you, the surgical world is a very small community. Everybody sort of knows about each other, and what happens is your reputation precedes you. So you don't really want to, like we say, pee in the bed that you sleep in, you know, it's not a, a good idea to start that way. So, yes, I could have sued him. Um, Mount, Mount Cornell, Cornell was the best. They refused to take it off of Shabbos, refused to give me an interview on Shabbos. And I told them to please pull my file. The woman called me back. She goes, well, but they really want you to come here. You're, you're an honors. You're an Alpha Omega Alpha. And they this. I said, well, okay, then they have to work with me. I could, you know. Come. <laughs> I said I could come on, on a Saturday, but I won't be able to do some of the things. I said, or they can pull my file, one or the other. And it went back and forth for months, and they, I finally said, this is not for me. Uh, Mount Sinai was willing to interview me, not on Saturday. Um, they interviewed me on a Thursday. Um, very interesting. They thought I was this very quiet, you know, you go in your interview suit with your hair pulled back, and you know, you look like the little angel person, and the person who interviewed me was the um, residency director, not the head of surgery, and he went to the head of surgery and said to me, he said, you know, she's, on paper, she's fantastic, she's very quiet, I, you know, I'm, I'm afraid she's going to get, you know, stepped on in surgery, P.S., Five years later, during my residency there, Dr. Opsis, who was my 
mentor, my director of surgery, who was wonderful to me and helped me with the shops program, came over and said to me, oh, yeah, we thought you were this little shrieking violet when you came here. Oh, well, we were on. <laughs> okay? It, there was never a problem. What I used to do is I used to trade people if I wanted a Shabbos off or a Friday night off. Because you have to remember, the hospitals are 24-7. Okay? You're there. I was pre-bell commission. There was no such thing. We worked 60, 70 hours a week. No, not even thinking twice about it. But what I would do is, if I could see that I could swing it, I would either take Friday Shabbos, and I was there the whole time, or else I would switch somebody and tell them, listen, give me, I'll take your Saturday, I'll take your Sunday if you take my Saturday, but I'll come in Saturday night. So I used to do Saturday night, Sunday, Sunday night, and Monday. Okay, by Monday night I was climbing the walls, but I was, you know, relatively sane. And, um, you know, made it through. And anybody was willing for an extra night off. I mean, they were willing to trade me. All, they used to find me. Sharon, you have a day? You want to do <laughs> So that's how I worked through residency. And I remember I told my father, you know, it's so funny. Like, on Friday comes, there's sort of like this veil over me. It's like, I do what I have to do because I'm allowed to. And I, I know. And, I, you know, and I, I believe me, I asked one rub after another. And I had somebody that was very smart. When I was a, a student at Kings County, she was already an attending a from woman. Um, and I went in and I said, what's it like being a from female surgeon? And she said, it's a very private thing. She goes, you're going to ask the rabbis what you want to ask, what you want to know. And she goes, and there's some things that even the rabbis are not going to understand. And you're going to have to make peace with it. And it's going to be between you and God what you do that you feel is in the best interest of your patients. And she goes, and just be honest with yourself and do what you, th what you think is right. She goes, and don't discuss it with too many people. She said, because it's, it's your, your issues and your conscience and your job as a doctor. And she was a very smart woman, and, and, and it really kept me through. Um, the other thing that helped me was I went to medical school with a blessing from the Lubavitcher Rebbe. It was easier after going to my father and asking him to go to college, it was easier to go to the Rebbe and ask him about going on to medical school and becoming a surgeon. And it's a whole long story, but um, he gave me an answer that included so many things. He told me to always go for the best program. I will find my way around it. And he told me this. He told me this. And it didn't even come into my head yet. I was before medical school. But he laid it all out for me. And he warned me I was choosing a very hard life. And he told me if you have the, the perseverance and the strength to do this, do not let anybody stand in your way. One of those people was my father because my father was sort of on the fence. He, he wasn't sure. And I should go ahead and do it. And he gave me a blessing afterwards. And once he gave me the blessing, my father was not going to go against him. Okay? But he made sure that I understood that if he said no, I was willing not to go. So it was, it was interesting. Now I'm an attending. So now I'm sort of the boss. I cover with seven other surgeons. All of us are Jewish. And somebody has to make the donuts. So somebody takes call. Okay? I'm one of the two religious, but it doesn't matter. They're Jews, just like I'm a Jew. And somebody has to take the call. I walk into the hospital. I live close enough that I could walk to the hospital for routine rounds and things like that, for emergencies. I've already 
walked partway, ran back, grabbed my car because somebody was bleeding out. And, and it's, it's totally within the realm of normal, of, of acceptable. The cutest thing is my, my kids, when they have friends over, um, they explain since they're like five years old, oh, mommy's a doctor, she's allowed to answer her phone on Shabbos. You know, it's, it's very cute because they understand and that this is part of, of life as, as a doctor. So I guess for those of us who don't have that, the, the halachic exception for that, I guess, Shifra, if I can ask you, if you had any time where there was a request for you to go on a business trip on the Sabbath or on a holiday and when you just could not do it, how did you handle that situation? Okay, so um, the holiday midweek, you put in for the vacation and you're on vacation. But for Shabbat, so I wasn't necessarily asked to go on a business trip per se. However, I've had two things come to mind. One is I've been asked to cover a convention. So like medical, a lot of medical conventions on the weekend, uh, whether they're pharmacy conventions or physician conventions. They go on in hotels kind of like this and there's lots of booths set up and all the drug reps, that's what I am, I'm a drug rep you know, stand at the booth and we push our literature of our medications. So I've certainly been asked to work those on a Saturday. Um, they'll usually go like Friday afternoon into Saturday, late Saturday afternoon or on a Saturday morning into Sunday, let's say late afternoon. So that's one scenario that I've been asked to do. And another one was interesting. It was a Vegas conference from Monday through Friday everybody flies home Friday night because the conference is over. It's, it's our internal company conference and we do these throughout the year. So if I'm on the East Coast and I'm asked to fly, you know, let's say two, three o'clock on a Friday, I don't love to do it, but you know, Florida, you can, especially in the summer, you can kind of push it. But if you're on the West Coast in Vegas, you can't fly. You have to fly at 6 a.m. So how did I handle? So the conferences I basically just say I can't on the Sabbath. I just say I'm a Sabbath observer. I'm with my family for Sabbath, but I'm willing to cover Sunday. And no one's ever actually asked me to do that, but I've always stepped up and said, you know, I'm willing to take the Sunday, um, the Sunday shift. Uh, for the conference, very interesting. What they did was, this has happened a couple of times. On one occasion, they let me kind of blow off the Friday part of the meeting and I flew on a red-eye Thursday night. Um, that was one time, but a couple of other time, uh, one other time, I had to actually spend Shabbat in Vegas. The company, I just explained to my manager, um, I, I can't, I, I can be here all day um, and I can fly Saturday night or Sunday, but I have to be in this hotel for 25 hours and I need to have all this food here. I can't prepare anything. I have to make sure it's kosher. Um, and they just helped me and worked all of that with me. So I basically spent 25 hours Shabbat Sabbath in, um, in Vegas, which was very interesting in and of itself. Um, kept you from gambling. Kept from gambling. <laughs> um, just the whole key thing was a whole other thing, getting into my room, getting someone to bring me into my room. That's a whole other conversation because there's no such thing as a real key anymore in hotels. All the doors are electric. All, right, all doors are electric in hotels. That's a whole other conversation. But... Um, um, so that was another time. Uh, last June, Jonathan and I uh, were in Hawaii. I had won a, I had won a, con a contest, and we were awarded to be able to go to Hawaii. For Hawaii. 
and it went into, um, it was over Shabbat. So it started on a Wednesday and ended on a Sunday. And not to get too long-winded, but in, there are some people, once you pass the international dateline, say that you have to actually observe two days of Shabbat, of Sabbath, so it's a Friday-Saturday deal. So we inquired with our rabbi and figured all that out. Um, but the bottom line is, is we were basically at this conference in Hawaii, and we were observing the Sabbath and making it work, and you know, doing our our own thing in our own room, you know, in our room for the meals and and prayers, and then whatever we needed to be at, and we were just coordinating and making it making it work. So you know, it's it's logistical. You know, you have to figure things out. Um, planning and coordinating, but it can definitely be done. So, Esty, let's talk a little bit about kosher. Um, and being in Manhattan and having a job in Manhattan, I think, goes a long way because a lot of people understand it. But if you are asked to go to a client lunch, do they ask you, if do they necessarily ask specifically if they should go to a kosher restaurant? Or let's say you go to a non-kosher restaurant. What do you do in either of the two circumstances? I always love talking about food. <laughs> so kosher, it's also something you know we get and we take as natural, but when we go out as a team for lunch or with clients, so very often we would go somewhere, and my boss would call the waiter over and she would say, like, do you have kosher food? Like, you know, there's vegetarian, there's kosher, and they would just look at her. And they'd be like, no, 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 that's not how it works. Um, but I feel like nowadays in the 21st century, and especially in New York City, the food industry is very sensitive to allergies, food specifications, and I'll usually call over the waiter and I'll say, I'm highly allergic, can I please have like, fresh kale with some salt and pepper on the side? People are like, oh, are you hungry? And I'll be like, no, it's just... Um, so most of the time I'll do that, and then sometimes if it's an internal team lunch, people will be very sensitive and they'll either go out to a kosher place or they'll order in kosher to accommodate. So. But there are a ton of people on my team who are gluten-free and vegetarian and vegan, so everyone has their food thing. It's almost defining itself. Can I interject uh, one thing? Yeah. Is that okay? I have to go out to lunch, not lunch, sorry, dinner. I do dinner programs. Drug reps bring doctors out to dinners, right? Probably all heard of this. We bribe our doctors. Um, so we I love do, it. I do, this, <laughs> I do this all the time. And I literally walk in to all these non-kosher restaurants because I'm setting them up, and I go where the people want to go. And I literally walk in with my most favorite food bag, and I pull out my little quinoa and my salmon, and my, and I just start eating with everybody. And everyone kind of knows that my English name is Sharon in the corporate world. Sharon Feldman, she's the rep, and she's running this program, and she comes with her kosher food. The restaurants even at this point know it that I go to because I frequent the same ones because they're just kind of easy to work with and familiar with me. So it's awkward, totally awkward. I've been in no boo and have brought out my food. It's awkward. I will tell you right now, ladies, it is not a comfortable moment for me. And I also do it within my uh, own corporate meeting. So I'm at a corporate meeting. I'm at a table, you know, at one of our conferences with 10 people who don't know me and I bring out my food and I just basically say, I'm kosher. I take my food on the go. But I think, to Esty's point, people are just, it's like there's halal, there's vegan, there are so many different now, variations that it doesn't, most people aren't really surprised. One thing, the first year I was a resident at Mount Sinai, you get invited to the director of surgeries 
Um, okay, for dinner. Okay. And there's seven of you, okay, sitting at the table with the director and his wife, okay. I didn't know what to do. I mean, here, I, I'm not going to insult the woman, and, and she is the most elegant, lovely woman, and it's very formal. And I'm like, oh, my God. I mean, they, they, they hire waiters to serve you with the white gloves and everything, and I'm like, oh, my God, what am I going to do? And everybody warned me about this that knew me from residency that, you know, halfway through the year, you're going to be invited to Dr. Opsis's house on Park Avenue and 93rd. It's like this huge building. The apartment is huge. And there I go. So I didn't know what to do. So I called his personal secretary, and I said, Mary, do me a favor. Tell Mrs. Opsis I am very strictly kosher. I will have eaten. I would love to join them. I will have, you know, I will join them for coffee, but that's, I won't have anything else. Turns out Mrs. Officer's grandfather was orthodox. So she called up Luigi Siegel, which is this very nice restaurant. Not only did she match the dinner they were serving, but she had black glass plates and she got me black plastic plates. So. You know, it matched everything, and she sat me right next to Dr. Opsis. I mean, when you have to watch your P's and Q's, this is the person to watch it next to, okay? Especially because he's watching how you cut your meat, you know, you're going into the operating with him. It's, you know, kind of this, you know, and I have plastic, so, you know, lots of fun. But um, they were so gracious and very relaxed. When I go out, I, my, my, one of my friends, my good friend Tony, says Sharon has a hollow leg because I went to... Um, all these surgical conferences, and everybody else goes out to eat, and the only thing I do is drink. <laughs> okay, <laughs> drinks are I could I know which drinks are kosher. Okay, and he's like, she could drink us all under the table. <laughs> it's the most amazing thing. I don't eat bread. I don't eat salads out. I will have a fruit if it's not you know manipulated too much. You know, and and that was it. But I learned to hold my liquor because that was it. <laughs> That's what you had to do. And um, I've been to New Orleans. Okay, before it flooded, you know, and to Bourbon Street, and I have drank in with the best of them. Okay, <laughs> and you learn learn to deal. Um, Shifra, can you maybe talk a little bit about in a team dynamic um, whether you've come across rampant gossip or how do you deal with that in the workplace? So I'm glad you asked this one because I think. Oh, sure. I was mumbling. I apologize. Um, I was asking Shifra whether in a team dynamic, if she's ever come across gossip, rampant gossip amongst the crew, and how, how you would deal with that situation. And I thanked Marion for asking this question because I don't know if this applies to a lot of you. I don't know if you work in teams. I do. I work in a lot of different teams, and there is so much gossip. So the first thing I would say is what I try to do is sort of differentiate what's gossip and what's venting. Because within the laws of gossip, there are areas where we are allowed to vent. And it's a fine line when we're crossing from venting into gossiping. And I think we all know what it is for ourselves, but like my son and I were just walking just now, right before this event, we, I was running to get some uh, Passover products and I grabbed them and I said let's spend some time together and he ran some errands with me and uh, he just unloaded all this stuff about a project one of the kids, two kids isn't, aren't on board one kid is, he's trying to work with that kid and he just started unloading and I know one of the boys that he's, that's on this team with him and he said to me I need 
to vent. And I could tell he really, really needed to vent. Like, he, he really needed to get this off his chest. So in a work area, what I try to do is sort of figure out where is this person coming from? You know, something happened with the boss, let's say. Is this person venting because they just had this horrible interaction with the boss or with, the, you know, another coworker or, or a customer, a physician or a nurse? Or is this person just gossiping? And if it's gossip, gossip, I try, you know, I'm not in a work environment where I'm in an office, so it's not like standing around the coffee pot or the water cooler or whatever it is these days because I'm not in an office. I'm out in the field, but there's a lot of phone connect, you know, we're on the phone a lot, texting. And if you write it, it's gossip. It still counts as gossip, even if it's written as opposed to spoken. Um, so there's so and then so when, so not only is it the venting versus the gossiping there's two issues there's speaking it and there's hearing it right in terms of the laws so i think for myself what i try to do is one if it's gossip i'm not interested even if it's the in thing like i'm not you know after the meetings after the dinners and the meetings there's the people who hang out at the bar and everybody's talking about everybody who's not there i'm not at the bar i'm up in my room calling my kids or exercising or doing sleeping or doing whatever it is i'm doing um, but if it's venting, then I will be there for a coworker and, and say something to the effect like, it sounds like this is really hard for you and you're going through something really diff difficult and let's talk about it. And then try to offer solutions so that it doesn't get caught up from the venting into, well, she's just so horrible and, and let's, let's, let's talk about how we can move you from here to here and be sort of a sounding board um, to try to take them in that direction. Um, so I kind of handle it that way, and so that, that kind of handles it in terms of not speaking it, because I'm, you know, I'm not at the bar, and then in terms of listening, I'm trying to move it in a solution-oriented way. If people are just sitting around gossiping, and I kind of am stuck, like I'm on a train, right? I'm traveling on a train with five coworkers to Washington for a meeting, and there's gossip. Um, actually, I was at a dinner program. I was at a dinner program, very awkward, uh, with a bunch of nurses, and they were all gossiping about all the nurses that weren't there. I actually got up. I was so uncomfortable. I actually got up and went to the bathroom. And my coworker, he saw me. He saw, like, he knows me. And he just saw me. He saw, like, my body language. And I think he said to them, She's so, Sharon is so uncomfortable, she just went into the bathroom, like, to get away from this. And I think they, they toned it down a little bit when I came back. Um, I try to, if I'm stuck where it's really, where I'm really listening, I either try to change the topic, um, but I also read that if you are stuck and you really have to, like, hear gossip, gossip, another thing to do is to try to say something positive about that person so that it brings the conversation again back to some positivity um, and can leave the group with a better impression of that person that's speaking negatively about. So just try to give a better spin on it, if you will. Not always possible. I think gossip is a tricky one because it's not so clear-cut. Um, and I think it's rampant. Personally, I think maybe not for everybody here. I'm not sure. Some people are nodding. Some people are just kind of looking. Uh, it's, it's rampant where I am, especially when you work in teams because not everybody functions the same when you're on a team. So I appreciate that question. Um, Sharon, maybe you can talk a little bit about dressing modestly at work. and. I actually thought of you for this question because you've been in hospital, or I've been to hospitals, and we see like the girls in the scrubs, and then every once in a while you see the one Orthodox girl in a skirt. 
Um, and so I actually thought of you for this question, but maybe you can talk a little bit about that. Okay, so um, to me, I asked the question when I started because it's not so easy to make up skirts. A lot of the hospitals own their scrubs. Like now we have a machine. You put in a pair of scrubs, you get back a pair of scrubs. Okay, so in order to wash your scrubs, you have to put it in, you get back. I can't, even if I make a skirt, I'm not going to have it. But I asked a long, long time ago about the, the scrub issue and the pants. And so the, the answer came back to me that you do not wear lavush ish. You do not wear a man's clothes, which is why a lot of people didn't wear pants. Now, we're not talking about fitted, slinky pants here, okay? When I was little, I used to watch Medical Center, okay? There are no scrubs that fit like Chad Everett scrubs, okay? They are not form-fitting. They are very loose. And the Rav said, this is not lavush ish. This is a, a hospital attire for unisex. Um, so there isn't an issue. However, um, you know, not, not growing up wearing pants, um, I wear my lab coat over me all the time. And that's why Shifra and I, Shifra and I are um, school time. mommies. <laughs> we stand at the bus stop together. And when I first started, when Sarala was starting school, it was me and three Rebbitsons. It was Shifra, it was Rebson Krasiansky, Rebson Ben Shamol, and me and my scrubs. Okay? And I realized, you know, I wear my, my lab coat. They yell that I should leave my lab coat at the front of the OR, you know, and then wander through the halls. And I say, no. I bring it up to the door. There's always a doorknob or something in the cluster that has my coat. And it's the funniest thing because at this point, they, my friends will look around and say, oh, there's Sharon's coat. We know she's in one of the ORs, okay? Um, so I wear it until there. And I've also run to schools before I put my kids. My daughter goes to Beis Yaakov. My son goes to Yeshiva Katana. And I went to the school and I said, look, there are going to be times that I'm going to run in here in a pair of scrubs and a lab coat. Okay, I have to pick a kid up after, you know, kid's performance or this. Are you going to be able to deal with this? And none of the schools had any issues with it. Um, I usually wear a dicky or a turtleneck, so when they're low, you know, it sort of covers up everything there. And my lab coat has long sleeves. As soon as I take off my lab coat, I'm scrubbing, and then I put on a gown, so that has long sleeves. So it's usually not too much of an issue. And, you know, like I said, you know, yes, you know, you could take them in and make them look a little bit more attractive. Yes, or not. <laughs> okay, it's one size fits none. Esty, <laughs> um, maybe you can talk a little bit about, because being in the workforce or having a job like the job that you have is not truly typical of a lot of orthodox young women. Could you speak a little bit about how, you know, your sort of, how people see the work that you do, if there has been any criticism, um, how you would handle that? That's a very interesting question. Can I ask you to, ex to maybe explain, elaborate, explain elaborate. elaborate a little bit more? I would probably yeah. say that, and maybe this is inapplicable to those who are here, um, but you know, sort of a little bit of what Sharon was saying about how her father was hesitant about her going into her profession. Um, you know, I've sort of definitely seen it with my friends, where most of my friends are not on a trading floor the way that I was. You know, a lot of them do either OT or PT or a very different type of work. Being in the corporate world is sort of a little different. And so, you know, I've certainly never had criticism from friends, but, you know, maybe someone that you're dating or who wants to stay at home wife or, you know, someone who is more on the, 
or who really doesn't see the corporate world sort of working as an orthodox woman's environment? Thanks for explaining. So it's, it is a very personal question, especially because I didn't always see myself in the corporate world, and now I very much want to be in the corporate world, and I want to grow in the corporate world. So I grew up as a rabbi's daughter, and I wanted to revolutionize the world of Jewish women's education, and that was always my dream. And I interned in Jewish nonprofits, and I even tried a career in Jewish nonprofits, after which I decided that I belong in the corporate world. It has been met with criticism. I mean, ultimately, my family has really come to support me, and I really feel like I'm on a journey together. Um, but, but it has taken time. So in terms of dating, I'm 24 years old. I am a Jewish You're Orthodox so female, <laughs> and I have gone out with a few guys, um, 107 to be exact, <laughs> and it is, it is an issue. I mean, sometimes some guys look at me as if I fell off the moon, and, and they think it's very cool, you know, here's this Jewish Orthodox girl working in the big corporate world, but I would say most of, most of you know, the, the comments I get is sort of, okay, you're doing this now because you're like this nebby single and like you can't get married so you have this job and you're, but obviously once we get married and you have my kids, you're going to drop everything and work on dinner. And um, <laughs> it, it's hard for them to wrap their head around the fact that I actually want to succeed in my own arena as well as, you know, be a Jewish mother and build bias now on base trial and a beautiful Jewish home. So, so that is something I struggle with, and it's amazing to me that in the 21st century, um, and sort of I went to Stern College for Women, which is an all-women's um, college, and in a way I think it's more of a utopia because we believe that we can succeed at anything, and then we enter the world, which, is, which has both men and women, and then we sort of face reality. Um, um. Can I take yes. that thing? Please tell Talk me Talk to me when you hit your first thousand date. Okay? <laughs> I think I topped it off at about three or four thousand. Okay, my mother keeps yelling at me, you should have written a book. Okay? It's you not should have late. written a book. Now, the best is that no matter what, if you say the guy's just not for you, it comes back, she's too busy with her career, that's why she's not looking to really get married. Okay, it's never the guy's just not for me. Okay, I had this one guy. Okay, now he we went ten blocks out of our way because he could not change lanes in Manhattan. Okay, <laughs> I jumped out. This was before I was married. I jumped out of an airport, an airplane, just to experience life. Okay, just once. I don't. I never want to do it. I don't even remember the first. Ten minutes, I remember pulling that string, and then I was, then it's pleasant. Okay, but that first thing, that free fall is not, okay? So, so, and I told this guy this, okay? I jump out of an airplane to experience life, and you can't change lanes in Manhattan. We are not meant to be, okay? This is not happening, okay? She's too busy with her career, okay? But it came back to me, okay? I had somebody, I opened the door, okay? And we don't, we don't have anybody underage here or anything, so I could speak very frankly. And he looked at me and he said, oh, I thought you'd be bigger. That's now, I wasn't sure if he was talking about my height. I'm five feet tall. I wasn't sure if he was talking about my breasts. I wasn't sure if he was talking about my mouth. I, I, I doubt it was my mouth. Okay? <laughs> and I was ready to say, well, I thought you'd be brighter. 
and slammed the door. But you know, it was bad enough being known as a from female surgeon, but a from female surgeon and a bitch is really bad. I mean, that was going to lose it all together. So I ended up going for coffee. What I used to do is I always had my beeper, my cell phone, every, you know, whatever we were up to with me. And my mother would know to call me like a half an hour into the date. Okay, and then I could always say, oh, I have an emergency, I gotta go. Okay, now funny enough, on a date with my husband, I get an emergency call, okay, a real emergency, and he thought I was totally blowing him off. Okay, um, so it, it's, you know, but it, it's, the men are really not ready to hear this. I had someone who told me, well, you are going to nurse for at least six months, aren't you? I said, Really? He says, well, I said, you know, and I tried to explain and be nice. I said, you know, I have two older sisters. One is the type that she was a fashion designer, she graduated FIT, and she would go into Bloomingdale's and go into the lounge and nurse. I have another sister who was a Belza Rabbiton with a shawl and a hat, okay, um, who has, can I know her, 17 children. Um, and she nursed one for two days and said, I can't do this, and then her first seven kids are boys, and there was no way she could nurse because she didn't feel comfortable nursing in front of even her other children, okay? So I said, you know, it really depends on how you deal with it. So if you want someone to nurse for a long time, they have to be comfortable nursing in a lounge, in a this, you know, I have all these Hasidish nieces, and they all nurse in my living room, in my parents' living room, like, with no problem. They throw a shmata over them, they're totally sneistic, and there's a baby underneath, you know. So, you know, it, it, he says, well, I guess if you were in a stall in the bathroom, it would be okay. This is the second phone conversation with a guy. I said, sir, if I had to nurse in a stall, I'd feel like a cow, moo-moo. Now, my mother's listening to this conversation, okay? This is one of my earlier dates, okay? And, and, and she, he was referred to as the moo-moo. Needless to say, the moo-moo guy. My friend goes out with moo-moo for a while, and I'm saying, oh, my God, I'm going to lose one of my best friends because she's going to marry moo-moo. Um, thank God she didn't marry moo-moo. Moo-moo's divorced three times. I think no one wanted to nurse in a stall. So, you know... But, um, but you get very, very, they're not really ready to understand that you are willing to juggle family, you know, kids, job, you know, making dinner, going to the mikvah, that's always a joy, you know. Um, my phone rings, my cell rings, I got, was late for an OR because my hair was sopping wet underneath my scrub cap, but I was there because I had to run to the mikvah in between two cases, you know. That, but you're willing to juggle all this because this is what makes you feel complete. And this is what we are. I mean, we have the ability to do this. There is no question. We have such strengths within us as Jewish women. Okay, I, I spoke at the Bikacholim um, dinner, and, uh, you know, we come from the, the queens of, of Sarah. Sarah, 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 the word is Malchus. It's coming from Sarah, from from being a queen, okay, and the graciousness of Leia, and we have such strengths within us, and they're all within us, that not to pursue it is a waste. So I, I love how this became a dating seminar, and <laughs> I actually think this is fascinating, and I think that you'll invite us back, or certainly Sharon back, to talk about this when we actually talk about <laughs> There's another 4,000 to go, okay. So before I go on to the next question, how are we with time? Are, do we lose a room? Do we go on to the question and answer, or are we okay? We're okay. We're okay. Um, <coughs> I just want to do one more question, yeah. and then open it up for questions. Sure. Okay. 
So, um, sort of maybe given what Sharon was just saying, maybe I'll throw the last one back to you, Shifra, and sort of, but before I do, I think you wanted to say something quickly. Oh, I just wanted to say to Sharon's point, people think you can't do it all. It's either family or work. And I don't believe we have to choose. I really believe that we can do it. And we don't have to tell people that we are going to choose. We'll figure it out. Right now, this is the challenge I'm dealing with, and I'm, going, I'm figuring it out as I go. And when new challenges come along, and when I have babies and marriage, and we'll figure it out. We're living people. And the right person will understand that. 100%. And build with you. Amen. And support that and build, support Absolutely. that and build with you towards those goals. Um, Shifra, yes. so maybe last question, and then we'll open it up. Um, so can you talk a little bit about, and you have you know, a really wonderful and supportive husband. Um, can you sort of talk about how, you know, have you ever felt, and certainly not probably because of him, but have you ever felt, I'm just tired. Let me just go home. I'll be with my kids. I won't have to do any work. Has that ever crossed your mind? Do you feel fulfilled doing both? How does it sort of play out for you? Okay. So, um, right, there's a lot of hats, and a lot of juggling. Um, you know, there's the corp, there's the, the mommy, the corporate, and then the rabbi's wife. And I guess I am a little bit of an anomaly because there's so many wonderful, wonderful rabbitsons. They're my dear, dear friends. Um, not all of them are in corporate world, so I do, I do do this juggling act. You know, I say I have two, two lives that I live: my shifra, like community Jewish life, and then my Sharon corporate life. Um, so I have a tremendous amount of support. That's, that's one way I do it. My husband is so supportive. I mean, for those of you that know him, he is just a wonderful, wonderful man. I couldn't do, and he says it all the time, I couldn't do anything without her. The truth is, is I couldn't do anything without him. That's really the truth. Um, but I also have a mother who is so nurturing and loving and present and incredible. Sharon knows her. I mean, she is everything. She is my, she's everything. And she helps me tremendously. I have two sisters in Manhattan, so thank God I have a lot of built-in support. Um, having said all of that, I really do feel very fulfilled by what I do professionally. I really can't imagine actually not doing what I do professionally, but I didn't always feel that way. So I'm going to back up a little bit and say when I first, first had children, uh, you know, the first child and took off the maternity time and then had to go back to work, I always felt, it wasn't so much a guilt, it was I felt when I'm with my child, I should be at work, and when I'm at work, I should be with my child. And I never really felt present, I guess. It was hard. I shouldn't say I never felt it. I had to struggle and work at feeling present when I was with my child present with my child and I was at work, present with my work. And that was sort of my struggle in trying to figure out that balance. Um, I don't think I ever really felt like I'm going to quit because, again, um, it, my job brings me a lot of fulfillment. I really, really, really enjoy what I do. It's meaningful to me. I feel like I'm bringing, I mean, I'm known as the drug rep and the drug pusher, but at the end of the day, when I, I don't really sell my drugs, I influence physicians to choose my product, my prescription drug, over another, and then it helps a patient, it helps somebody. And right now, um, I'm really blessed and fortunate to be selling in the oncology arena. So it's really sophisticated technology and um, 
life-altering, life-altering and sometimes life-saving technology. That, so that brings a lot of meaning to me. Um, do I ever feel like, you know, I just want to throw it all in, pack it up, move to Israel? Yeah, of course we do. We talk about it. Um, but then we, you know, put our feet back on the ground and uh, regroup, if you will, and, you know, take a week. We'll go away, God willing, next week for Passover with the kids and recharge and realize that, you know, we're just trying to make our own very small contribution here. Um, and I often say this, I'm transparent about it, you know, in order for Jonathan to do what he does, I, I do have to work, I do, for, for us to be on the east side and, and him to, to really feel fulfilled at what he's doing, I'm, I'm contributing in my way, um, and, but, but I feel very blessed and fortunate that it's a job that I really, really do love. So I don't know if I really answered. I'm not sure if I answered the question. You missed but, one thing. Okay. We have support. And we have support. Oh, my other. gosh. Yes, we we, we are on that phone every day? Every day. Every trying day. to figure out who's right. picking up the right. girls. Or texting. Okay. Or texting. Them? Them? Have to, them, right. My daughter, our school bus will not come up to my house because I am 5.2 miles away from the school, but she is five miles away from the school, so less under five miles. So the bus stop is down the block from Shifra. My daughter, I drive to the bus every morning and pick her up drive her home. But sometimes Shifra picks up the girl, so she'll drive Sarala home. Sometimes I'll drive her kids home. We go back and forth. Our kids have been in my house at conferences. I mean, we, we, and we do, you know, <laughs> thank God for each other. Just support each other. Okay. I'm sorry. It does. It No, 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 no. It goes Absolutely. both ways. And, um, you know, you, you, you have to build on that, those relationships. It's not uncommon these days that families, especially in Manhattan, need two incomes, okay? I mean, I'm the breadwinner in my house, so, you know, I don't, you know, sometimes you feel like throwing in the towel, but you can't because someone has to pay the mortgage. Um, so, um, you know, you have to draw on, on everything that you got and it keeps you going. Maybe we open it up to questions from the audience? I'm Jenna, and I started out uh, working in investment banking, and then decided that it was probably similar to your residency hours, and didn't think I could do it, and now I'm practicing financial technology. Um, something I think is very common in Manhattan, especially, is that people are working all the time. So vacations and things like that, um, I personally, like, I work at a great work that understanding, but I feel in most workplaces, the day-to-day -day now is longer than nine to five. It's, it's the expectation, it's the norm, um, and in male-dominated environments, it, it's very common. And so when you're balancing, even just making food for Shabbos, let alone, like, let's say dinner someone else is covering, or whatever it may be, like, how do you balance those types of wife, mommy responsibilities that you, as, like, you would take pride in as well when the workday um, well, you know, my I sort of was blessed. I'm an insomniac, so I don't. I, this she is really the one is. thing, the one thing that I'm not sympathetic with my patients because when they tell me they can't sleep, I said, "So get out of bed and do something." Okay, and literally, I cook through Thursday night. If I go to bed at like four or five in the morning, it's not uncommon. 
Um, but I'm making a lot of food, and my family is pretty good about leftovers. They're eating chicken tonight. That was <laughs> left over. Um, but I also, because I have a large extended family, it's not uncommon that I have family flop in. So we had my niece and nephew and their five kids for Shabbos. Um, and you just, you do it. And, I, and like I said, I spoke to my friend Freya, who was my mentor when I was in medical school, and, and told me this wonderful thing to, you know, it's a private private thing, and we were both cooking on Thursday night, and I'm like, you know, uh, I'm like, Frio, I live in Manhattan. For me to order chicken for a family, it's like literally a fortune, okay? You're in Brooklyn. I mean, like, you could order in, you could, you know, it's right there. You could run, you know. She says, it's something about being the women we are. We want to make it. We want to do it. And I'll tell you, maybe also because I got married a little bit later, like, it was my dream to make Shabbos to have Shabbos guests. I was brought up Lubavitch, okay? We always had guests in our house. We have guests from all walks of life, okay? People that are just becoming religious, people that are black, white, but in Lubavitch, this is all, all part of the course. You're Jewish, you're Jewish, you're Jewish. And that's what matters. And um, you just give it, you know, what it, your best shot. Um, I can't tell you that I never burnt anything. I did. Okay, we've had... <laughs> You know, chicken turkey, chicken jerky, okay, some Shabbos's. Once in a blue moon, it happens, okay. Uh, my fish pot, God bless it, it's a good pot, but it's been like charcoal fish. Um, it happens, okay, but for the most part, you know, it, most of the stuff comes out pretty decent. No one in my family is starving. And um, you, you just do it. You, you find the time, you find the strength. Um, conferences are 7 o'clock. My kids aren't on the buses. Unless my patient's being presented, they know a conference when in another couple of years my kids will be older and they'll go to school themselves and I'll go back to going to conference. But for the most part, if my patient's being presented, my residents warn me beforehand and I run to conference, I sit through, I beg Celia to present my patient first and then I could leave and go take my daughter to the bus stop and get my son out. So you... you there's certain things you do. You live near where you work when you're a, a surgeon, because otherwise it's impossible. Do I have time to answer that as well? Or um, So for me, it's uh, lists, lists, and more lists, quite honestly, um, because I have to write it down, otherwise it doesn't get done, or I don't remember it. I'm just being honest, because we're multitasking. And so, like I told someone, for example, that I would check out a therapist in Brooklyn for her, last Thursday, totally forgot because I didn't write it down, and I said to her, text me because I'm going to forget, and sure enough, walking out the door tonight, she said to me, hey, any leads on therapists in Brooklyn? So, list lists and more lists, um, and I prioritize. I, I can't get it all done, and I'm not the woman who's cooking, and um, I, I, in other words, I would rather open up the home to the 15 people and do the takeout then be up at four o'clock till four o'clock in the morning because I do need to sleep. I'm not. I wish I were an insomniac. I'm not. I wish. I, I wish I could <laughs> get on less for hours. I get sick when I when I don't sleep and I get irritable, like like nasty, like mean. So I like to sleep when I need to, and um, so something's got to give. So what I do, and it took me many, 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 many years to get here, is I give myself permission to not get it all done and to delegate and 
cut a corner. As long as I'm not leaving a kid somewhere, I can pretty much cut the corner. <laughs> so, that too. <laughs> yeah, so often. <laughs> so like, they you know, if the chicken isn't my chicken, and when you come to my home Friday night and everyone says, oh, this is so delicious, what do I say? I didn't make it, no false advertising. It's like I'm a bulletin board for it. That's what I usually, that's what, right? Isn't that what I always say? I didn't make this. Thank you, but I didn't make this. No false advertising. The chal is wonderful. Thank you, but I didn't make it. No false advertising. So I'm not in my kitchen baking challah and cooking for 15 people every other Friday night and um, making homemade meals, you know, from scratch with quinoa for my kids. I'm getting by. I'm doing the best I can, as Sharon says. But when it comes to hugs in my home and, you know, and love. And kids are not starving even. They're not starving. You know, they're all on vitamins and, you know, good, good healthy milk. And, but my point is, I'm making jokes, but my point is, is you can't get it all done. You can't. So it's about prioritizing and making sure that, and, and it's different priorities for all of us, right? But whatever those priorities are, it's making sure that that's what's getting done with the lists if you need it or the reminders or whatever it is so it doesn't fall through the cracks um, and it's about the balance. I don't know if that helps at all. And designate. Del and delegate. Learn, delegate. delegate. De a lot you know, of delegating. Delegating, especially when there's like a lot of kids in the house. You have to let them help and sometimes, you know, here my, I, like I watch my sister and, and like I said, you're talking about families, okay, my sister didn't tell anybody for years that I was a surgeon. This was an embarrassment to her. <laughs> Okay, yeah. I mean, but I you have to. I'm, I love my sister. My sister's great. In the oh yeah, I was it. I was all, I was always the black sheep. Yeah. Um, no, I and my sister Miriam was, but then she died. So it was like I'm I was sorry. left. Yeah. No, it's okay. But now, you know, then I took her place. So um, she never delegated to her kids, and she never told the kids what to do. And you have to understand when you delegate to a child. It is not going to be done. I am a type A person. I want it perfect. Okay? It is not going to be done. Don't show them. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. Okay? Don't even, don't even correct it the first couple of times. And then maybe the second time they do it, you can say, you know, I would have done this a little bit different. Okay? Because if you tell them, no, I would have done it different, they'll say, then do it yourself. You know what I mean? That's what, how it comes across. So... You have to let go of, I can't say not get it all done, but let go of the, the type A on everything. Yes? Do you ever feel guilty about, like, what you're contributing to the workplace? Because I think that, so I always, like, try to make the argument that I'm giving, like, such good counsel and contribution to my office. And then when I think about me leaving on Shabbat, and for holidays, I can't like logically argue that I'm more or equal in value to other employees because I feel like in in a lot of our industries, especially like anything related to healthcare, communications, there's crises. There and I guess medical halakha, like you, you you'll have the exception, but you know, like to Jenna's point, people work way more hours than usual. So even if we overcompensate, people are just working those hours normally. And I feel like when we're launching like a big campaign or clients are going crazy for whatever reason and I'm the one person who can't be there to help the team, I don't, like I can't argue that that's okay in a way. I don't know. Do Who's your question directed to? All of you. Mm -hmm. sure. um, 
Okay. I mean, I'm the systems person, and I'm the process person, and that's what I'm known for. And yes, I leave early on Fridays, but if anyone emails me, I will have the answer to them. And and I always, whenever someone comes to me with a question, my first question is, when do you need an answer by? And their answer is always, when can you get it to me? And I'll usually say Tuesday end of day, and they'll say Monday end of day. Fine, I'll have it to you then, and I have it to them. And and I know what I contribute, and people know what I contribute. And every person, I think, I think most people try to make themselves a home in the workplace. That's how we survive. And you excel there. And I'm just a moderator. I'm not a panelist. But I would just add, I, I am a workaholic, and I do work from probably 9 a.m. to like midnight every day, besides for Shabbos. And I would just say, don't feel guilty. You will do enough work that you should not feel guilty for taking off the 25 hours a week or the two days for Yantif that you need to. You are probably doing more than a lot of other people do on a job. If you are responsive, if you take the time to do the work that you do, if you show up, if you care, if you mean it, people will see it. So don't feel guilty about taking those 25 hours. It's called mental health time. Okay, you need it. Believe me. You really do need... And in all honesty, I mean, maybe, you know people are going to poo-poo me because you shouldn't be doing this on Shabbos. But a lot of times, Shabbos is my time. When I'm cutting up salad in the morning, okay, on Shabbos morning because I'm having company for lunch, um, it's my time to really, things go through my head of, of everything from songs that I wanted to, to learn to how I should better put together someone's intestines. Okay, or how we should, you know, or how we should choose. No, I, I mean, really, I, I know it sounds funny, but I relax, you know, preparing food. That's, you know, my chill time. And, and it gives you time to really think of all the things that during the rush day you don't have time to do. You will realize so many great thoughts. Now, you don't remember all of them because you can't write it down. Okay, so many good thoughts come to you on Shabbos because you aren't answering the phone, you're not, you know, the television on, the radio's not on, the record, the, you know, music's not on. So many things will come to you that if you could get it down on paper, I have written more poems, she knows all, all my ads are in poem form, and, you know, I've written more poems in my head and songs on a Shabbos morning than, than any other time. It's my creative time. I'm sorry, what's your name? Julie. Julie, I think we've met. Mm -hmm. I, just one more thing, and this is an Adam Grant give and take. Be the person who does favors for other people. When people need something extra said, they know they go to Julie. They go to you. And once you become that person, you're their personal friend, and it's a subconscious thing. You give. You're known as a giver, and people forgive time off. My mother taught us way before I thought about medicine and everything. When you walk into a workplace, within the first week, make sure you are needed. Take over a job no one else wants to do, okay? Be the go-to person for your boss, okay? And, and all of a sudden, you're there for a week, and they're like, oh my God, how did we ever live without her? And Friday and Chavez is not a problem. They're like, they managed to get through Friday afternoon and Chavez without you. And they'll find you Monday morning. Or, or Matai Chavez. On, okay. your on your Blackberry. On your Blackberry. That's what usually happens. May we do one more question? Um, how do you how do you reconcile um, your work 
with your husband and kind of explaining to your husband that he has to do more things around around the house because Cheryl Sandberg in her book Lean In uh, explains that women who work just as many hours as men do still do 75% of the work at home and that just um, doesn't make sense and of course there's no halakha that says that the woman has to be the one vacuuming and washing the dishes or at least you know let me know <laughs> well, actually, if you look at the Rambam, <laughs> <laughs> he specifically mentioned that. <laughs> <laughs> no, kidding. <laughs> okay. Well, yeah, so just kind of how you explain to your husband without, you know, damaging their ego and how you work around the men's ego. It's <laughs> a great question. I'll take, I'll take one, one thing, and this was from the Lubavitcher Rebbe, okay? You know, that uh, the men on Shabbos do not fold their taluses. They're not allowed to fold it neatly. It just gets sort of the prayer <coughs> put someplace. Man came to the Rebbe and asked him a question that he was very perturbed. His wife is very perturbed that he leaves his, ta- his talus laying around on Shabbos, that he doesn't put it away neatly. So the Rebbe told him, this is what you do. Right after Shabbos, as soon, as soon, as soon as you're able to, you fold it away neatly and put it away. And he said, and by the way, if you roll up your sleeves and do a couple dishes too, because we don't, you know, wash the dishes on Shabbos if you don't need them for Shabbos, it wouldn't hurt either, okay? Um, now, that being said, um, <laughs> I do 98% of the housework <laughs> in my house, except that I do have someone that comes in and helps a little bit, you know, a couple times, two, two days a week. Um, my husband is not the type. It's not worth it. He loves to cook. It's not worth the cleanup. Okay, it's just not worth the mess. Um, it, it, it comes and goes, you know, and you have to choose your battles and pick and choose what's the most important. If, you know, as long as my kids have clean clothes, if the laundry didn't get done, no big deal. I mean, no one's smelling, everybody, you know. No one notices if, you know, someone's wearing a second a pair of socks for the second day, you know. Don't tell anybody, you know. Put it on, throw them in the dryer with a little fluff and, you know, put them back on the kid, okay? <laughs> um, you have to, you know, choose it. You know, I, I love to clean my bathrooms, believe it or not, I do. But when it came to cleaning the bathrooms or playing with my kids when they were babies, the kids took precedence. Okay, so... Um, no, yeah, how do you explain it to your husband? Some will, some won't. Hey, that's, you know, going to be... And don't don't make it into a big issue, okay? I mean, if my husband thinks if he took out the garbage once a month, I take out my garbage three times a day, okay? You know, well, he took out the garbage. You know, good, honey, that's wonderful. Thank you so much. End of discussion. Okay, it's not... Choose your battles. So, um, somebody once told me that, and my husband actually, and we both try to teach this to single people, either the single men and me to the single woman, women, that if you go into a marriage looking, what can I get out of it, then, and you have two people doing that, then that's what the marriage is going to be. Two people looking, what can I get out of it? However, if two people go into a marriage, what can I bring to the marriage? What can I contribute? Then 
something is forming and something is building. I actually didn't have this exact conversation with my husband before we got married. It wasn't like, well, if I take out the garbage, will you do this? We didn't, it wasn't like roles, but the conversation looked more, I'll get a little personal, it looked more like this. Well, I'm not looking to have babies and you are like off, like not available, uninvolved. And as soon as he said to me, no, I want to have babies with you because I want to be an involved parent and raise them with you. I realized that I had met someone who wanted to be involved, not only in parenting, but in building. This man wanted to build with me. So whether it's dishes or vacuuming or shopping or um, waking up at 4 a.m. with a sick child or whatever it is, being there for a mother-in-law, taking a sister somewhere, it doesn't, there are roles and responsibilities in marriage. Sometimes they're clearly defined and sometimes the lines are blurred. I'm not so sure if it's a conversation of, I'm gonna do this and I'm gonna do that, and you're gonna do that. I think it's more of an attitude and an approach that two people bring in to any relationship, mar marriage or otherwise, right? Any relationship. And so, my personal, humble opinion, it's just me, one person, is I think it's something that should be discussed before and again. It's not, you're gonna do this, you're gonna do that, roles and responsibilities, but it's, it's picking up on cues on how involved does this person wanna be in the relationship, in the marriage, in the chores, in all of the responsibilities of the marriage, um, or not. And does it work for me, or not? Does it work for him, or not? Um, I don't know if that answers the question, but, um, Beware, some men lie. Okay. <laughs> they do lie. My my husband thinks my kids slept through the night since they came home from the hospital. Okay, my twelve year old was up three o'clock in the morning last night. I mean, he he just it was never his issue. Okay. Some men do lie, but there are behaviors that you also pick up on. They give in other ways. They give in other ways. Okay. So so. You know, find the person and, and, and love them for who they are, okay? Not for what, like Shifra says, not for what they could do for you. Um, like I said, I come from a big family. Uh, I mean, Rach Hashem, and my father came with one brother from through the concentration camps. And when we sit down at, on Hanukkah, which is when my sister makes a party for everybody, we're more than 80 strong, okay? One man. Not my, not my uncle's family, that's another family. But we are 80 people. My father and my mother sit there, and my father says, this is my nikama. This is my revenge, okay? Because we're, we're a force to mess with, okay, when we all get together. Um, and in a family, and, and my husband has an issue with this because he doesn't have siblings, okay? Everybody has to give a little bit more than they take. So there's always a pot for the person who needs. And that person is sometimes this person, sometimes that person, and sometimes it's this person and this person, this person, okay? And it's never that person. That's part of a family. No one watches. Everybody does what they could do. And, and also be honest, if you really are pressured. My niece-in-law, okay, is a love. She called my mother and said, do me a favor, ask Sharon if we could really come for Shabbos. Or is it too much for her? Because I know if I call her, she's going to say yes. Okay? And I want to know the truth. I want to know, is it going to really freak her out? You know, like put her under so much pressure. I said, no, as long as, you know, 
everybody chips in before she left. I mean, the guest room was remade, you know. Uh, we picked up as much as we can from her one-year-old with corn cakes all over. You know, I mean, it's a family. Everybody chips in. Everybody chips in. And like I said, and, and I have, thank God, a very large extended family. And we all chip in. Everybody. And we make an effort to all get along. It doesn't come natural. So I guess I'll turn it back to you. Thank you all for being here. And if you want personal time or whatever, I guess, you know, you're we're still here. We are. Okay. Thank, Thank you so much. Thank you. Oh, no problem. I know. Like I said, it was different. The last one was more of uh, I'm sitting with uh, yeah and, and Thank you guys for coming.